Meditation. 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 Depending on the quality of my mind. You know, there's good days and bad days. I mean, I feel like the waterfall of thoughts. Every now and then, a nice calm. Can't think of anything. This is Meditation in the City. The Shambhala New York Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Meditation in the City podcast, a podcast where we explore topics on Buddhist meditation and maintaining a meditation practice amidst living in a busy world. My name is Francesca, and I'm your host. The title of this episode is Spiritual Hygiene in Times of War and Beyond. We generally know what to do if we suffer a physical wound. But what constitutes good spiritual hygiene? How can we effectively take care of ourselves and each other? What teachings and practices do we turn to? How might we combat compassion, fatigue, and loneliness, isolation and despair, reactive emotions and repetitive triggering, resentment, guilt, shame, and so on? What does real liberation look like in this context? Today we are joined by Roger Guest. Roger is a former executive director of Karma Choling, a teacher and an author. He currently works in a plant medicine-based clinic treating addictions, mood disorders, and psycho-spiritual crises in Tepoztlan, Mexico. Spoiler alert, he does not claim to have all the answers. The Meditation in the City podcast is hosted by the Shambhala Meditation Center of New York. Here's Roger to take away the discussion. Everything is changing except for one thing, which is not a thing. Everything is changing, changing, coming into existence in this disappearing except the nowness nowness doesn't go away nowness is the container it's the experience of this present moment awareness Could we say that it is like the sky? In the sky, everything happens, contains everything. Space is containerless container. And yet, nothing unto itself. Is your mind like that at all? Having a view of the mind being like the sky is uh, challenging. However, we are encouraged in the Buddhist tradition 
to maintain a uh, big mind to um, understand the nature of the mind. It's critical. So when we talk about spiritual hygiene, weird term, we have to, um, I'd like to think that uh, hygiene in this case means um, healthy, good habits, good spiritual habits. So I thought today in discussing this, um, and I'm not known for preparing talks, those of you who know me. So um, this is a little unusual, but um, I thought we could look at it from three points of view, which is heaven, earth, and man. Heaven, those of you who are familiar with this principle, generally refers to um, the vastness, the big picture. So sky-like mind we looked at as heaven. Why is this important and how can we work with this idea? Here in Mexico today, unlike the rest of the week, uh, right now the sky is perfectly clear. There's no clouds. I'm not sure what's going on in the various locations that people are. But it would not be uncommon to see a cloud this time of day. And you might look at a cloud and say, hmm, kind of looks like a map of Italy. Or maybe a Scottish terrier. Or maybe a face or something. You look at the cloud and you think, hmm. And you see it and you turn to your friend and point at it. And when you look back, it's already different. It was a Scottish Terrier, but now it looks a little bit more like a teddy bear. Three minutes later, when you look at it, it's half disappeared and doesn't look at all like a map of Italy at all, or a bird, it's not clear at all. Five minutes later, you can't even see it. Now, I'd like you to think about the mood you were in yesterday. Can you remember? How about this morning? Nine o'clock this morning, what was your, what did your mood look like?
Has it changed? Can you even remember? Did it look like a dragon or a puppy dog? Every mood you've ever had in your entire life is like a cloud. It's constantly changing. It's there and then it's gone. Every mood you will ever be in in the future has the same quality. Every opinion you've ever held. Every strong emotion you were so enthralled with. Every argument where you pounded the table as a cloud-like quality within this sky-like mind. So when we talk about holding the big picture, heaven view, we have to take that into consideration. That these strong feelings that we experience are groundless, momentary, and uh, actually don't have any solidity. But yet, they feel very real and they're natural like clouds in the sky are natural condensation at the whim of other elements, wind, heat, gravity, so on. So to hold this view of heaven, big mind, is to have a bit of a sense of humor about your own emotions, your own reactions, your own uh, crises. Now, another aspect to this big view is that in nature, there is a, something I would call a pendulum effect. Things can only go so far before they have to come back the other way. It's like it gets hot and there's water in the lake and the water heats up and it has no choice but to evaporate. And it goes up into the sky and forms a cloud. And then it has no choice but to condense and fall. Things can only get so 
dry before they suck up all the moisture and it can only get so wet before they turn to rain. In human society, the rich can only get so rich and the poor so poor before there's a revolution. Can't go any further. It just can't work. So there's this pendulum effect that we see throughout everything. The tide comes in, goes out. We have energy and we are excited and then we get tired and we have to go to sleep. We sleep as long as we can and then we can't sleep anymore. We have to wake up. I don't know anyone who can sleep more than 24 hours in a row on purpose without being sick, except Trung Rinpoche could do it. It was pretty amazing how he did it. <clears throat> so we have these cycles in our lives and these cycles occur in nature all the time. Plants are seeds, they get big, they grow, they ripen, and then the seeds fall and the plants wither and turn to ground and another seed forms and so on. This happens in um, microcosmic manners and macrocosmic. So in the Tibetan tradition, there's all sorts of discussions about um, dark ages and golden ages. Periods of history where things go very bad and then they can't go any further and they have goodness prevails again. So when we look at uh, the big picture, the heaven view, that's part of it. You have to see that we are in that. And as uh, sometimes the Tibetans have said things like, we are just this year's crop of hay. Our lives are not that long. And we have periods of youth and abundance and exuberance. And then we get tired and we get older and we get Everything has this kind of cycle. So that's important to remember. So we have the heaven view, and then we have this earth experience, which is our individual personal experience of this moment. Our five senses are more than five, depending how you look. I saw one internet thing that said we have nine senses, including things like we can sense acceleration and deceleration. 
Oh, fascinating. Anyway, this notion of earth has a quality of immediate experience, our pain, our suffering, our joy, our anxieties, our health, our neurotic upheavals, literally our practice, our mindfulness practice, is how we relate to this body in this world right now, which isn't completely separate from heaven, but is personal. So we'll get back to this, but um, then the third part, so heaven, earth, and used to be heaven, earth, and man, now it's heaven, earth, and human. Human has to do at this point with bringing the two together, heaven and earth, and that feeling of bringing things together is connection, making connections, connecting the dots, connecting this personal experience with the larger world, as well as the um, kind of mystery of heaven. So in particular, during this time, this is the area where we need to work on connection connection with each other, connection with our planet, connection with our children, our future, our um, legacy, our teachings, and making that connection sane and meaningful. So in particular, on the level of human, we have reactions to things. We uh, hear things, we see things, we are bombarded with information. And um, we have to relate with our personal needs, and the needs of the world, the needs of others, the needs of our friends, the needs of our animals, the needs of the planet, and to be skillful and work with this lifetime in the same manner is a huge job. And I'm sure each of you have ideas about how to do that. I just want to kind of outline the idea here of reaction, reactive emotions. 
and how we might work with reactive emotions as part of this part of the life experience, particularly during this time of war and what's going on. I think it's safe to say that the Ukraine situation is a profoundly, uh, it's like a very loud noise that we are all reacting to. And that the most common ground we could establish here is a, a sense of, on one hand, perhaps fear, it's quite universal, but more subtle than that is a quality of brokenheartedness that it is absolutely heartbreaking that we as a species, we as a planet are experiencing this together. We can be angry at Russia, we can be uh, devoted to particular causes and, and people, but the overall ultimate experience is one of universal heartbreak. Challenges us to even touch that level of tenderness and overwhelming sadness. And we could we could be we could be the last generation of human beings. Is it's beyond our capacity to fully understand what that might mean. So this notion of uh, devastation that we are confronted with is something we might want to back off of or react to in all kinds of ways. Uh, in terms of anger, um, uh, we might, and people, as you know, all over the world are going through this and it is completely stirring up the most horrendous elements of our experiences, addictions, autoimmune diseases, um, suicide rates, divorce rates, depression, you name it, it, all of these horrifying epidemics are heightened. It's, it's like pain upon pain upon pain. So we are sort of put in this position of having to not just cope, but um, react in a sane manner, whatever that means. It's not a simple question.
So on one hand, we can look at it from the heaven perspective and say, it's going to run its course. It's going to go like everything in the world, everything in the universe has its pendulum quality. And that the ultimate nature of our experience of mind itself is like the sky and wars and pestilence and drought and are like moods that come and go in the big, big, big picture. And maybe that's reassuring, but um, we won't be around to see the golden part, probably. And then there's the earth part, which is that right now in our lives, we have to continue to live, operate, breathe, do our best, find some kind of seat in the middle of the chaos, maintain our balance best we can. And part of that is these uh, reactive emotions that are bound to come up. We should know that one of the things about reactive emotions is that um, when we just react to things, there's not usually that much space. And generally speaking, a reactive mind has a habit of assuming the worst. Something happens and we give a meaning to it. And the meaning we give to it is the worst possible meaning. It's like uh, if my partner Donna says she'll be home at seven o'clock and she's not home, my mind can immediately uh, jump to a number of situations that could be the, you know, like she's had been in an accident. Oh, she's run off with someone else. Oh, there's, you know, who knows what. But uh, the chances are she uh, got caught in traffic or she's, uh, you know, stopped to speak to somebody and lost track of time. But we do that a lot. We jump to this reactive <gasps> and then later pieces together. So one of the things that we can do and has been strongly recommended by a lot of great teachers uh, is infiltrate our day with little hints of mindfulness at little gaps, little moments of space. Thich Nhat Hanh has a wonderful exercise called telephone practice, which is that when his telephone ring, he's dead now, but when his telephone would ring, he would let it ring once, notice it, take a breath, it would ring again, Take another breath, 
and then pick it up. Hello? You could do the same thing with washing your dishes. You're about to start washing your dishes, you stop, take a breath. Look at the dishes. Appreciate something about them, the color, the shape, the shininess, the uh, arrangement in the sink. Just take a moment and then enjoy washing your dishes. Before you start your car, take a breath. Before you send your email, stop. It's not just reread it, but think, okay, this person who's receiving this email, hmm, Denise, this is to you. Hmm. Send. Bring something to this that isn't just speed. That way, gradually, these reactive emotions start to become more um, more mindful, I guess you could say, more um, more wakeful. And this is actually something that doesn't take much work. One of my favorites is when I'm talking to someone, particularly I, I, I work as a therapist time to time, and when I'm speaking to somebody and they are speedy, I stop when they stop speaking, I consciously take three breaths. And then I respond. And that has the effect of slowing down the conversation. And usually the response I make if I do this is much more than just reactive. When someone is angry or upset, it's probably the best thing you can do. Arguing is not on the top of the list. Going back to this notion of human, I would, um, and I'm just sort of randomly going through a list here of good hygiene points. I think it's extremely important for everyone to um, examine their circle of acquaintances and friends and appreciate the value of friends in your life, who know you. There should, every one of us, this is a should, but every one of us should have 
someone who knows us, who we can talk to. If we're, if we're carrying around secrets that we're afraid anybody might know, that's not healthy. In the AA tradition, they say you're only as, how does it go? You're only as sober as your secrets. You're only as sick as your secrets. So someone who, and it may not be the same person for all aspects of your life, but somehow you should feel that you have this connection other human beings so you are not total um, isolated mystery in the you know the ideal conditions there's um, teachers spiritual friends who are um, on your case somehow. We used to say that Trunk Rinpoche took about 15 to 20 seconds to get to know somebody perfectly. Um, His Holiness Karmapa was probably had it down to like five seconds, but who's comparing? It was, and of course you wouldn't, in my case, I wouldn't see Trunk Rinpoche for a whole year and then I'd see him and within five seconds, I felt like I was just, just completely seeing through everything. So there's no point in holding back. And that's very, very helpful. You have someone in your life who can, um, with whom you feel that kind of connection, if possible. But if not, the idea of cultivating friendships, cultivating relationships, as we just can't expect these things to happen altogether on their own. Relationships take work. And I'm not talking about just partnerships, you know, husband and wife or whatever, but friendships people you haven't contacted for the last year. Reach out to them, particularly during this period. And it also goes down to, you know, you're in the supermarket and you're going to the checkout counter and there's somebody behind that counter who's wearing a name tag and they're scanning your, your items Look them in the eye and say hello. Hello, Irene. How is your day? You can't imagine how important that can be. Homeless people, you know, there's all these uh, studies that have been done and homeless people on the street that people just walk by all day, all day, all day. Nobody ever looks them in the eye asks them how they're doing and actually cares to know. That is basic compassion, fundamental human interaction that is not, the message isn't you don't matter. 
and it could be a total stranger, person in the gas station, or somebody else who you generally don't like that much. So when we talk about war, it's very easy to see the enemy as this horrible, bad person, bad country, bad something. We have to understand that we have internal enemies as well. Our own uh, unwillingness to be there directly with people, unwillingness to, to give our attention is like an enemy. And that we are not just victims in this world of these conditions, but we take responsibility for our lives. Victimhood is not really good hygiene. So this notion of human is taking responsibility for your reactive emotions, your interactions, your connections, with, of course, behind all of this, the impulse of compassion, the brokenheartedness that's actually the engine of these interactions. So Harda, you've had a, a, you're probably one of the few people here who has had that experience of being literally in a war situation. Yep. And the uh, experience, the challenges of these intense reactive moments. How have you managed to uh, process that? Roger, what I did notice, even as a young child, was that people around me never took that brief moment before they reacted. They would literally, it was like one big swall of either sadness, anger, without that space that you talk about that I find so important. When I park my car at the grocery market, Every time or wherever I am, I hold in for a moment and look at the sky. And it helps. It's a pra practice. And you pointed it out tonight again, how important when you have a person in front of you to take a deep breath before you answer. I find it incredibly important. And that was the in contrast to what I had experienced. 
So what I learned actually is, do you, well, what I started to question, do you have to live in fear all the time? You don't have to live in fear all the time. Fear can also be something that you question and that you somehow recruit into joy. And I have done that in my life. I just, I feel enormously balanced when, if you say so, you know, with the pendulum. That's really how I feel. But it took a long time. It took many, many years. Of course, yes. But that's, again, that, you know, those particular clouds took a long time to morph and evaporate. But they do. And in a way, that's one of the wonderful elements of human experience is that these traumas that we find ourselves experiencing actually have uh, a beginning, a middle, and an end. If we can work with that space. I, I'm not going to uh, share more than you'd like to probably have, but um, hard to as a young, how old were you? Four years old, five years old? Um, well, I was born in 41. So I was four years old by the time the war was over. But it, I wrote to you that I did not know normality. <laughs> Bombs every night. So what the Ukrainians go through right now was a common event to me. and. I did notice the tension. I did notice the tension. And I, I missed being peaceful and being in my mother's arms, for which she had no time because she had four other children. So there was no way she could give me the love and warmth and kindness and gentleness. And that's really what I missed the most. And at the end, when everything was over in 45, there was, the war was never over, really. People would recall the past. And I, at some point, started to wonder whether there is a country where maybe people have a little bit more fun and look forward to, or whatever, enjoy what they are doing right now and scrambling to get things together somehow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When, um, you know, we do a lot of Tonglin sessions each day, there's these options to do that. And, um, the visions and images that arise from war are uh, pretty horrendous. But there does seem to be one medicine that everyone needs, 
regardless if you're a soldier or you're a victim on the side of the road, someone just bombed your house, whatever, is that love that you're talking about, that hug you never got. Yeah. And I think that's something we, we, uh, try to extend in our Tonglen practice. Hi, Cynthia. Hi, how are you? I'm good, nice to see you. Likewise. Um, so the only question I have, Roger, is that you were saying something about, you know, you were talking about the notion of trauma and that even trauma has, you know, beginning and middle and end, if we can work with it, with space and all that. Having had a friend who was a Vietnam vet and had, you know, PTSD before they had the term for it and knowing, you know, watching his experience over years and years and years, it's, I guess I'm curious as to, you know, it, it's like, it's certainly every moment has its beginning, middle and end. So, you know, every individual experience of trauma has its beginning and middle and end, but the fact of its recurrence and persistence over time. I just wondered if there's anything you could say about that from your experience, if you, because it seems like it, you know, for the people who have really experienced extreme horrors of various kinds, like many of our veterans and other people who have been abused and other things, it's not so simple, I think. No, it's certainly not simple. There's no doubt. But um, you have to understand, I think that trauma, you know, there's a lot of work going into different ways of working with trauma. It does change over time. And, um, you know, the most kind of graphic example might be that, um, Someone has, uh, you know, if, if you ask someone to tell you about a traumatic experience, they might um, manifest in a, a certain way that re-triggers the trauma. You know, like uh, I was just parked in my car at the, I'd come to a red light and I was sitting there and all of a sudden this car came up the other side and it hit the side of my car and I, uh, as they're telling it to you, they're reliving it. And then five years later, if they've been working with therapy or other methods, they, the way they tell the story is going to be, yeah, there was this time I was in Portland and I was parked at this or stopped at a stop sign and this car came in and hit me in the side and it spun me around and I was, oh my God, it was horrible and it was better, but it's not... <laughs> It's just a little bit less until finally they may be able to say, yeah, there was this time I got hit by the side of the side of my car one time and it spun me around and I was like a mess for weeks. But their whole body tone was <clears throat> like Hart is telling us about Second World War experiences and she's not uh, putting her hands up and, and you know, she can do it with some space. So there are, you know, and we've 
different techniques and technologies in the world of therapy um, have been producing different kinds of results. So there are certain people who, um, and, and plant medicines are one of the more promising um, areas of this, for this. Um, people find that they can step back a bit from that experience and see it more objectively and gradually um, sort of understand it from a lot of different sides. They understand why they reacted that way. They understand why it happened. They understand how anyone in that condition would respond. And they also understand that it happened and it's not happening again right now. And we've all been traumatized on some level. Trauma's not necessarily getting shot at or having your car destroyed. It could be, uh, you know, your mother says, wait here, I'll be right back, and then doesn't come back for half an hour, and you're seven or six years old, you're totally freaks you out, and that's trauma. It's, um, there's so many range, you know, it ranges from... So right now, I mean, this is one of those elements of war that is absolutely terrifying, is if, if we can imagine the pandemic, of, you know, COVID pandemic, is going to be nothing compared to the PTSD epidemic that's coming with all of this. And with PTSD comes addiction, health problems, uh, suicide. You know, it's just an onslaught of dis-ease and hopelessness and depression and so on. So all the more reason for all of us to be absolutely as sane as you can. And within that, give yourself space to fuck up. going to happen. You're going to have these reactions. You're going to have these uh, unbearable feelings. You're going to have a night where you drink too much or something. You know, it's going to happen. It's just be, you know, do your best. And part of that is the support of others. Being a support and receiving support are equal. You know, if I can support you, that's a gift to me. If you can support me, that's a gift to me too, but it's also a gift to you. Um. I'll be. I'll try to be brief. Uh, I've been doing the Tonglen um, uh, um, group since almost the beginning of the war in Ukraine, uh, and um, what I've ex 
experience all sorts of different reactions to it. One of the things that uh, uh, that I've noticed by doing Tonglen and uh, starting with my own pain and suffering and then um, going to uh, the people of Ukraine and then trying to include Putin and uh, all the others and the rest of the world, um, what I've noticed is that um, uh, it's given me the opportunity to look at uh, my my pain and suffering and also like um, uh, putting into practice uh, not just the meditation but a lot of uh, compassion exercises um, and it's given me um, more space and and also uh, more awareness of my reactions to to different situations and even Kind of working some things from from past experiences, um, so I think that um, you know, I guess reinforcing the uh, the idea that or the thing that you were saying that doing things for others is really a gift to ourselves. So, absolutely, yeah. And I think one of the things that I find difficult um, is that. Uh, other than uh, than people and doing different things on Zoom and being able to talk about it, it's there's not a lot of people in our in my environment, um, and I imagine it's quite similar that necessarily want to talk about or discuss uh, the war or, um, because it's very scary. And I remember in the beginning when I started doing the Tonglen practice there was a lot of fear and a lot of grief. I went through a period where I, I was grieving everybody that I knew uh, and not just the people close to me at this point, but all the people in my life uh, when Putin started to talk about nuclear war. So it's, uh, it, you know, it's, it's really, uh, I think it's, it's, um, it takes courage and bravery to continue every day, but I've made the commitment to be there. And I think it's, uh, I'm, I'm thankful for, you know, for the practice, for uh, the path that I've, you know, been on for a little less than 10 years now. But it's, uh, yeah, it's very important, I think, for, for all of us. And we're quite fortunate um, to have, Develop, uh, have uh, uh, found this path in our lives. So, so thank you for your presentation. Thank you for your remarks. They're right on. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, we invite you to leave us a rating and review, subscribe, and share this episode with your friends. Shambhala NYC also offers a variety of meditation courses for meditators of all levels. Check out our upcoming programs at shambhalanyc.org. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.